Well, <clears throat> good morning, everyone. Uh, I don't know about you, but this is the Sunday where it feels like something has uh, shifted. Memorial Day is in the rearview mirror. Um, this past week, we had our first really hot uh, summer days, um, sunny days, and uh, the plants and the gardens are, are growing. It just feels like for all practical purposes that summer has arrived, summer's here. I have, a, um, I have a high school senior living in my house and in about a week, he will uh, graduate. I have the normal mix of joy and grief that I've heard other parents uh, talk about. I also have a deep regret um, that some of you who have school age children will understand. And that is that my son's senior year was spent going to school primarily in his bedroom. <laughs> there were no basketball games, no football, no games, dances, backyard barbecues, um, weekend sleepovers, all the normal things that you would expect your child to experience in their senior year of high school. All of those were interrupted. Our normal rhythms uh, of life have been drastically altered um, this past year and a half. The other thing that did not happen during this past year for both my son and the rest of the youth and children at PMC was uh, Sunday school. The Children's Christian Ed Committee uh, tried to provide Christian education opportunities for families to do at home. We tried Zoom classrooms for a bit, but the reality is that being uh, physically together uh, is essential for faith formation. And it was something that we could not fully replace. Now, oddly, I think uh, a year like the one that we uh, just had can teach us something about faith formation. The absence of our, of our normal rhythm around faith formation at Portland Mennonite Church has highlighted for me the conversations that I personally hold dear in my own faith journey. And maybe it's just me, but conversations around God and church and spirituality are conversations that demand physical presence. I'm missing these conversations. I'm missing the presence of all of you. You know, recently I was talking with a, a friend of mine who works with children and youth ministry in, in Denver, Colorado. We were comparing notes about our approaches to um, talking about faith and how this moment in history has made us change that conversation. When I was growing up, there was a strong emphasis on memorizing and being able to repeat back belief statements. When I was growing up, what I was taught to believe was meant to somehow shape my behavior. And if I could say the right words and, and act the right way, then I got to belong. Um, that, that doesn't exist anymore for many of our youth here at PMC. Many of the beliefs that our kids are exposed to that come with the tag Christian, I, don't, I wouldn't wish those on my worst enemy. The infusion of, uh, 
of nationalism and hatred and bigotry and homophobia and xenophobia that come with the label Christianity are everywhere these days. And our kids hear it on the news and our kids see it in our politics and they want nothing to do with it. And I say, good for them. So when I was talking with my friend in Denver, I said, does this mean that the baby's gone with the bathwater? And he said, no, it just means that the questions around faith have got to change. Now, as we enter this uh, summer, a period when I hope and pray is our final stretch of being separated, I want to uh, ask us some of these questions. Questions that hopefully uh, guide us back to new conversations about faith and church. Uh, these are conversations that we're going to need to have face-to-face -face once we're able to sit together again with uh, coffee cups in hand and really talk. The questions I have are ones that I have asked in many ways of our youth group over the past number of years. For example, there's this um, one evening activity that I've missed very much. We, we, um, we often had an evening called Big Cake Questions. And the concept was simple. I would buy a big cake and everyone would get a plate and a fork. And the only way you could get a piece of cake was to ask a, a question about God or church or faith. And then you had to have that question be deemed worthy by everyone else in the room. And if your question was deemed worthy, then you were served a piece of cake. We made a, a list after everyone had submitted a question. We would eat our cake and we would work our way through the list of questions. I have, I have a, a feeling that there was a, a lot of small groups or uh, adult friendship groups that might enjoy uh, an evening of big cake questions in this congregation, especially after a year of having to be uh, separated. So I have some questions for us this morning. I think these are our foundational questions that will live underneath almost everything else that we do in the coming year. They are questions that will live underneath um, our work to become a more anti-racist congregation. They are questions that will live underneath our desire to be more inclusive. They're questions that live underneath our ideas of justice in our city and our world. They are questions that will guide our relationships to one another. Our text today talks about taking up one's cross, denying ourselves and following Jesus. The, these are the words placed in the voice of Jesus. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, I, I've listened to, to many sermons where Christian discipleship is explored using the take up your cross bit. I've not heard so many about denying ourselves. Which brings me to my first question. The question inside denying myself is, who am I? Who are you? What self-interests, both acknowledged and hidden, do I, do we bring to the table? 
the element of um, of selfishness or self-centeredness that lives inside so much of the faith and the belief system that I grew up with is difficult to root out. Inside the simple question, do you want to be saved? Which I was confronted with so much as a young person, lives the question, why you want to be saved? And when I was 12 or 13, I would have answered that question out of fear. And inside that fear was self-preservation. The earliest shaper of my faith was selfishness, a desire to save myself from the pits of hell and to reward myself with the glories of heaven, with the chosen few. I was formed to have a desire to be unique, to be right, to be quietly superior to others who I was told were the lost. A second question is, who is God or what is God? Or to ask it more honestly, what is your image of God? My image of God as a child was of a stern grandfather who sat behind a bank of surveillance screens watching my every move <laughs> and listening in on my thoughts. Richard Rohr writes, unfortunately, it's much easier to organize people around fear and hatred than around love. Most people who want to hold on to power view God as vindictive and punitive. Powerful people actually prefer this worldview because it validates their use of intimidation. Both Catholicism and Protestantism have used the threat of eternal hellfire to form Christians. Rohr goes on to say, I am often struck by the irrational anger so many people of so many people when they hear that someone does not believe in hell. Threat of hellfire works because it appeals to the lowest level of consciousness where we all start. These uh, two foundational questions, who are you and who is God, are vital faith formation questions. When's the last time that you sat with them? They are intertwined questions. They are spiritual direction questions. They are therapy questions. Do you trust that you are made in God's image? What does that mean to you? As we emerge from uh, COVID, and as we contemplate returning to our faith community in person, how might we do what Richard Rohr suggests is the, the harder task? to organize ourselves around love, to be a community 
that has an image of God as love itself. To know in our bones that we were created to love. To know we are loved. To know that this is truly who God is and who we are. I watched a video this past week from um, Eastern Mennonite Seminary School for Leadership Training. One of the guest speakers was David Fitch from uh, Northern Seminary in Chicago. And his talk was entitled, The Great Reset, Church on the Other Side of COVID-19. What he had to say made me think about us, uh, about our congregation. One of the main points that he was making it is that this moment in history, a moment where we have taken a, a time out, so to speak, a moment where, where church has been reduced to what we're doing this morning here on Zoom, in a Zoom room, um, it's an opportunity to reimagine my last two questions. What is the church and why does it exist? These questions are the title of David's latest book published by uh, Harold Press, and it's, it's part of the Jesus Way series. David is convinced that small practicing groups of Jesus followers uh, are the essence of what shapes a church modeled on images we get from the church in Acts. He would argue that uh, practices or behavior comes first in these faith communities and that belonging and beliefs are consequences of a lived relationship with Jesus and his teachings when they're placed at the, at the center of the community. But here's the advice uh, Fitch was offering to churches emerging out of a pandemic. He was calling uh, for churches to focus on density rather than numerical expansion. Fitch is calling for deeper commitments rather than larger crowds. And this comment made me think about us. It made me think about um, how we approach faith formation here at PMC. It made me think about uh, our practices. It made me think about how many of you sign up to, to bring things to church uh, to help our community. It made me think about how many meals get delivered to people who, who need support. It made me think about how many of you volunteer to teach Sunday school or serve on a committee. It made me, me think of the work that's happening right now in our congregation around climate and anti-racism. We're, we're walking through a pandemic together as a congregation, but our commitments have remained strong. Our budget continues to enable us to partner with others all over the world. And, and for the most part, We've not allowed our virtual reality to tear us apart as we meet here on Zoom each week. So I'm, th I'm thinking about getting a t-shirt that just simply says, my church is dense. I'll order one for you if you want one. Uh, I'm, pre I'm pretty confident that this uh, density, this um, level of commitment will be present when we return but I do not think that everything will feel just the same for us. I, I think the why 
church question uh, might haunt some of us when we regather. Why am I rushing around on Sunday morning to get across town to church? Why am I being asked to serve on this committee or that committee? Why, why do I have to be here when I really only know a few of these people? Why do I have to wear pants? <laughs> uh, I do not have any uh, questions. I do not have any answers for the, the, the questions that I have asked you this morning. And, and if, if you're a teenager in this congregation, you are painfully aware that this is normal for me. The questions, who are you? What is your image of God? What is church? And why does church exist? Are yours to answer? Hopefully soon over coffee, in the physical presence of other human beings. I would suggest, however, as would David Fitch, that the church is the people that God uses to make space for Jesus's presence and for God's kingdom to get a foothold in the world. The church is the people that God uses to make space for Jesus's presence and for God's kingdom to get a foothold in the world. In our little corner of Portland, we are those people. We make this space together. We build the kingdom together. Grace and peace to you as you keep the faith. Amen.